Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll and the exclusive home of the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you. Uh, I'm in Casper, Wyoming. Uh, I'm going from Missoula down to Denver on the tour. Hey, listen, I just heard there's a law uh, that you have to turn on your car lights when it's raining uh, in Sweden. My question, how am I supposed to know when it's raining in Sweden? Thank you very much. Goodbye. I guess that's what you think about when you're in Wisconsin, right? (laughs) Duff going international with that one as we follow him across the states as he's on tour with uh, Guns N' Roses on the Summer Stadium Tour. Still tickets left for a few of the days. Check it out at GunsNRoses.com. And look for me in Las Vegas. I will be there on, uh, I believe, August 27th to see the guys. And uh, come see me with Fozzie. The Save the World Tour starts September 2nd in Columbus, Ohio at the Newport Music Hall. Uh, we go to Joliet at the Forge on September 3rd. At Belvedere on September 4th, Apollo Theater. Both of those shows are only about 50 miles away from uh, Hoffman Estates, where All Out is going to be. So if you're in town to see some AEW and you're looking for something to do on Friday or Saturday, come join us in Joliet and Belvedere. Uh, September 6th in Kansasville, Wisconsin. September 9th, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And then we continue on all across the states. Pittsburgh sold out. Flint sold out. Cleveland sold out. Johnson City sold out. All the VIPs sold out except for six cities. Savannah, uh, Johnson City, uh, Columbia, South Carolina, a few others. Uh, you got to go look on FozzyRock.com and see if there's any VIPs ready for you. Uh, and there's also some tickets left for all of those shows, except for the ones that I said. Don't forget, too, we're also coming to England, back to the UK, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. Uh, that's going to start November 30th in Manchester, Swansea, and Nottingham are sold out for those shows, but there's still tickets available for all the other ones. London, Birmingham, Belfast, Dublin, Glasgow, Newcastle, but they're all going to sell out before we even get on the plane. So I believe uh, you should want to go check that out. Get to FozzyRock.com and buy a ticket and come to our VIP uh, extravaganza. All right. And today, speaking of uh, extravaganzas, it's an extravaganza paying tribute to one of the greatest tag team wrestlers and one of the all-time nicest guys in wrestling history. You never heard a negative word about him. You never heard him say a negative word about anybody as well. The time of the great Bobby Eaton of the legendary Midnight Express. Bobby passed away on Wednesday, August 4th at the age of 62. I've got Tony Schiavone and Arn Anderson here to share stories and memories of Bobby. They talk about Bobby's run with Dennis Condry as the Midnight Express in Mid-South and Jim Crocker Promotions uh, and the difference when he started teaming with Stan Lane as the second version of the Midnight Express. They speak to the incredible chemistry that Bobby Eaton had with the Midnight Express manager Jim Cornette and they remember the incredible feud that the uh, Midnights had with longtime rivals the Rock and Roll Express. Arn also traveled with Bobby and has some hilarious stories with the contents of Bobby's 60-pound duffel bag, which I do as well, and his weak stomach, which I do as well. Uh, great stories and a great voicemail message from Bobby that I'm going to share coming up in the show that uh, is pretty cool to hear his voice and actually pretty hilarious what he says in the message. So let's go. It's the Bobby Eaton tribute with Arn Anderson and Tony Schiavone now on Talk is Jericho. Um, so it was a, a pretty sad week last week when um, Bobby Eaton passed away. And I'm here with Tony Schiavone and Arn Anderson, kind of a, a dream team of Bobby friends, I would assume, just from the amount of years you worked with them, especially as a commentator for right. you, Tony, as an opponent, friend. 
for you, Arn, and for myself as well. And one thing I'll just jump right into is Bobby is one of those few guys, a lot like a Brody Lee or an Owen Hart, that nobody has any bad words to say about. Yeah. And when you're in this business for as long as Bobby is and nobody has any mean words to say, you know that's the real deal of just a good-hearted guy. Would you agree with that, Arn? Oh, yeah, 100%, because, you know, it is the nature of the beast in this business to, to in a wrestling locker room to bury everybody else <laughs> just so you, you rise to the top. And Bobby is one of those guys that I've never heard a negative thing about. He is the kindest human being. And I'll just go on record that I've ever met on this earth, civilian or otherwise. He, kindest human being all across the board, not even just in this business? Across the board. Yeah. Wow. I would agree with that as well. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He just, he was the type of guy that no one said bad things about because there was nothing bad to say about him. Hmm. There wasn't. Yeah, what, he, he was what do you good what, to everybody? Yeah, if you made something up right. about Bobby, if anybody was in that's yeah. in this room now was in right. the room, they'd have probably got their right. ass kicked, right? Because it would have been horseshit, right? You know, and when you start knocking a guy like that, that is so he he was so pure of heart. The only way I can put it, and this is not being negative, he was almost childlike. Mm. You know, he was. Uh, yeah, he was just honest and you know if you needed anything it didn't matter if you showed up without towel if you showed up without socks if you needed a pair of tennis shoes i mean the guy i did a like a quick i guess what would i inventory i guess one day and i looked in that bag he had five pair of tights he had three pair of boots uh -huh. he had three pair of tennis shoes three towels, 12 pair of socks. <laughs> he had at least 15 pounds of penny candy. That yeah. was, yes. was two cents, by the way. It wasn't a, there's no such thing as penny candy. <laughs> and I was just kind of shuffling around in there, and that I started to pick that bag up. It had to weigh 60 pounds. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just, I said, Bobby, Jesus Christ, man, why don't, listen, just pick. We're only going up to Raleigh and back. We're not even staying over. <laughs> right. You know, pack a little small bag and just, you know, that'll get you up there and back. You don't need all this shit. And he went, well, look at it. I said, what? Yeah. He said, that's the way I like it. <laughs> okay, so I speak Bobby. I understand exactly yeah. what he said. Yeah. He Jim, Jim Cornette used to say that. If they would go to a convenience store, as we all do, right after a match, mm -hmm. get ready to go to the next town, that if there was somebody out there looking for money for a handout, that Bobby would always take care of them. Mm. He would not only take care of them, he would hand them money, ask them how they're doing. Cornette said he saw many times that Bobby had his arm around the guy, mm. just asking the guy if he's going to be okay and what he can do for him. And that's just was the type of guy he was. I mean, he was just, he was just so considerate. And we were... I can't, this had to be during the Great American Bash. You know, we went from town to town. The Great American Bash tour? 86. Yeah. Yeah. And I had left something in the room. And uh, I said to Cornette, I said, I left something in my room. He said, uh, and I, I think we were in the lobby of the hotel. And he said, uh, you know, I never have to worry about leaving stuff in our room. I said, why? He said, because Bobby takes care of all of us. Hmm. If we, He goes back and he checks everything in the room. Anybody leaves anything in the room. 
he'll make sure that we got it. So that's the type. Of, it was almost like he was a nanny, you know, taking care of people. Now, now, some guys would do that just to kind of try and get brownie points, you know, with, with the, the, yeah. the higher ups or with the vets. But Bobby would just do that because I'll just to expand what Arn said, just to kind of explain it a bit. When I came to WCW in 96, as you know, it was very NWO heavy and, and Hall and Nash and Hulk and all those guys were not the friendliest of guys just because it was just the way it was. They're great guys now and I'm friends with all of them, but coming in, right. Arn was very nice. Jimmy Hart was very nice. But as far as the big name guys, it was hard to really talk to any of them. Now, Bobby was also a huge star, but was super nice. Sure. And he would carry around his gear bag and then another bag, like Arn said, that had all the supplies in it. Right. And the supplies were specifically for the boys if they forgot anything. Yep. And I remember one time I lost my toothbrush and Eddie said, ask Bobby. And I said, I can't ask Bobby. He goes, no, this is what he, he, he likes this, you know? So I say, Bobby, I left my toothbrush. And like you said, he's very mumble mouth, marble. You forgot your toothbrush? Yeah. You want a green one, a red one, or a blue one? <laughs> I was like, yeah. what? You not only just had to, he asked me what color I wanted. Yeah. And then he goes, you want some candy? Like, <laughs> no, I'm fine. You need, you need some socks? No, I'm good. You need, you need a pen? I got black and red. No, no, I'm good. I just need the toothbrush. All right. You, you need two of them? I just need one, Bobby. And I couldn't believe, like, he's, I get a toothbrush from Bobby Eaton, assorted colors available. I was going <laughs> to say, I bet you he didn't just reach in and pull a toothbrush. He got a handful yeah. and let you pick the color you wanted. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? Yeah, Bobby Eaton does that. We had a uh, uh, Conrad Thompson and I have obviously done a lot, and we were in Nashville in 2019. We did a, a live podcast in Nashville in 2019, and Doug Markham brought Bobby Eaton to our podcast. So we brought Bobby Eaton in the back, and we asked Bobby, "You want to go out and talk with us?" Bobby said, "Yeah, I'll go out and talk with you." And you know how Conrad is. He wants to try to, you know, bring up dirt, right? Mm. Tell stories on people, things. And Conrad hit him with everything that he could think of. He would not say anything bad about anybody. And I remember after the show, Conrad said, he's like the nicest guy in wrestling. He will, he, he's got all these stories that all of you have, and you know we do, right? But he would not say anything negative about anybody. And that was the last time I, I really saw Bobby. And... Uh, I thought he looked pretty good at that time, but it just shows what type of guy he was. He yeah. wasn't he wasn't gonna, you know, trash. Just in that. No, was, not at all. I was uh also fortunate enough to see him. There was a like one of the first shows that opened up was at Jackson, Tennessee, and it was at the ballpark. And uh, it was, you know, one of the first shows that that we went to back live since this pandemic deal. Right. I can't remember exactly when it was, but you know, it was outdoors at the baseball stadium, and it drew well. It was Jerry Lawler's. I tell you what, it was Jerry Lawler's retirement show. You guys were familiar with that. It's been a while back, whatever it was. One of his retirement shows. Fifty years in the business. <laughs> yeah. like Terry Funk, he retired again. Yeah, like Kiss, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Bobby just appeared. He was just, I guess, he was there doing a signing with the. Uh, Jimmy and Dennis somewhere right down the way, but uh, he just appeared and there he was. So I got to spend five minutes and told him I loved him, told him I'd missed him, and he, you know, I wouldn't have even known how to track him down mm -hmm. for years because he was staying with some guy, and everybody would say that some guys looking after him that lives in yeah. somewhere in Tennessee, but nobody knew the guy's name, nobody right. had a number on him, right? 
it wasn't one of those things you could just reach out and locate him but he just i was glad i got to see him one more time well check this out and this is this is the perfect segue for this i told you guys when we were talking about this i have something that'll make you pop so a few years ago 2019 they had a benefit for bobby it was called don't tell bobby i guess bobby maybe had some health problems or had fallen on some hard times so because he was the greatest guy ever there was a big show maybe in knoxville or something like that and they uh, uh, were asking, can you retweet this? And they always ask me for auction stuff. And I said, sure. just send me a link and I'll, I'll donate some money. Right. And they didn't really have the link. And, and so there was a guy on the show named Crazy Steve from Impact that I know. And I said, if I give you this envelope, can you please promise me you'll give it right to Bobby? I don't want the promoter to get it. And I don't know these guys. You know how it goes, right? You. So Steve gave it to Bobby. They filmed it, which was great. And, uh, and Bobby's got his, you know, he's, he's dip in his mouth. And Steve's like, hey, Chris Jericho, uh-huh. He gave me this to give to you. No kidding. So he wanted you to have this. Okay, that's good. So that was all I got. And then a couple <laughs> days later, I get this phone call. And I'll see if I can, if you guys can hear this. Hello, Chris. This is Bobby. I'm calling you. Uh, give me a call back when you get this message, please. Okay. My number is 615 821-84-8153. Okay? Thank you. My number is 615. Uh-huh. Count the digits. Okay. 821-84-8153. Uh-huh. <laughs> Arn's got a little tear in his eye. Yeah. Sort of. Vintage. <laughs> Bobby Eaton, he's the only man on the planet that has four extra numbers on his phone number. <laughs> and I, I didn't call him back because I... I didn't know what to do. Like, should I try and track him down? And you know, it's my fault. I should have tracked him down and called him. But, you know, I, I, I just didn't really know. But I just was, I heard that message, just was laughing. The 12 the digit Bobby Eaton phone number. Um, he was great. So, just, 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 like we said, just a sweetheart of a guy all across the board. Man, he, uh, I lived one street away from him for 12 years. I don't know if you knew that. I did in Charlotte? Yes. Down wow. in Pineville, right? Yep. 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 And, uh, Literally, I could walk. I lived out the bottom of the cul-de-sac, and if I walked through the neighbor's backyard, Bobby's house was right there on the corner. And it was like Disco Bobby. His garage was where we met on those few days that we had either like a short trip or Rock Hill or something. Right, Rock Hill TV, right. You'd get back at 9 o'clock at night because it was 25 minutes away, and we'd go to Bobby's and sit there and just sit in the garage and just listen to music and the kids would be running in and out the neighborhood kids and checking in his bag he kept his bag out in the garage with the candy so he took care of all the kids if they wanted candy they didn't go to the store they came to bobby's garage right and it was just uh it was just one of those guys that you knew hey if i need to move something downstairs that's heavy Mm -hmm. bobby be the first guy there and blow his back out helping you Mm -hmm. Something else most people didn't know about Bobby. Bobby Eaton was cock strong. He could lift shit mm. and was not a body guy or mm. a weightlifter. But, man, if you go back, find any still photo of Bobby and look at his hands. They look like they belong on a Cro-Magnon man. Mm. And he was strong as shit. And one of the funniest things about him was he was claustrophobic <laughs> and he had a weak stomach. So my favorite thing is I'd be riding down the road and people listening to this can't 
visualize, but maybe you can. And Bobby would be sitting there reading his paper, and I'd just reach over and just put my hand on his lips and just just <laughs> just rub his lips, and it flipped him out. Yeah, it freaked him out. Yeah, unsanitary of me touching his mouth. Right, and he'd start gagging, and I'd pull over, and he'd uh-huh. throw up out the door. Uh-huh. I mean, his stomach was just that weak. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'll get back to how weak a story is. Maybe we'll close with that because it's a, it's a whopper of a story. Yeah. But the fact that he's claustrophobic, one day Sting and Rick Steiner were going to jam him up in a corner at uh, Center Stage. You remember how Center Stage was like the – was slanted. It was metal. Yeah. It was hard to walk in there. So they were going to jam him up, and Sting was saying, I'm going to kiss you, Bobby. I'm going to kiss you. Well, they, as soon as his back hit that steel to mm-hmm. where he was trapped, brother, he blew out of those two guys. Yeah. <laughs> and all I saw was Sting and Rick Steiner tumbling down the hall. It's the damnedest thing you ever saw. Yeah. Right. The thing, the thing about it, because Wrigley used to do that too, and a lot of guys that were really good friends with him, he would go along with the gag. So you'd go like, stop, come on, man, come on. Like he wouldn't, like he would play along, which is why people like to do those sort of things yeah. because he would always sell it. And I think he sold it because he knew the guys got a kick out of it. Right. Oh, yeah. Bobby and, and Benoit were very close, very similar guys in a lot of ways. Didn't speak a lot, chose their words wisely. But if you you remember this, Arn, and you, you guys both do, you both were there. There was a... I believe it was in Baltimore. It was Sullivan and Benoit, and they had a fight all through the arena. Right. That yeah. went through the stands, sure. ended up in the bathroom. Now, anybody that's watching, if you go back and watch that, watch who's trailing them. Bobby Eaton. Because Sullivan picked Bobby to be the policeman. If any fan touches us or whatever, I want the toughest guy that I know to be there and not a hothead. And that's you'll see Bobby. He's in the bathroom. He's in the background. You can see him in a couple shots because wow. he was handpicked by by uh, Sullivan to be the muscle. That remember that very clearly. Bobby just he just said, "Bob, just stay back out of out of the shot, mm. but just be there in case something goes wrong." Because you never know, you know. Right through the fans, yeah, yeah. You know, that's where you're up in their territory, mm. up on the concourse. Those guys were fighting, you know, in the bathroom up there. So talking about his, uh, you know, wanting to kiss him. <laughs> I okay, and the twenty. This is the twenty sixteen NWA Fan Fest that they used to have in Charlotte. I'm sure you you went to some of those. I'm not so sure. Yeah. So I went to the one in twenty sixteen during the summertime. I was working with the baseball team, and we were in Charlotte. Just so I, so I spent a couple of days in the afternoon, and so there were Bobby and Stan and Jim. They were signing autographs. So I snuck up behind them, mm-hmm. and I grabbed Bobby from behind, and I re- reached around and kissed him right on his left cheek. And he came up out of there, wiping that shit off his face like, what the f*** are you doing? He was f***ing mad at me, and I hadn't seen him in years that I f***ing had kissed him. He wasn't mad. Okay. He just scared him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it startled him, yes. and he scared him, and immediately when he saw it was you, he was not mad. Right, right. He just, it felt mad. Yeah. Yeah. He would just yeah. I'm thinking turn, he's, it turned into me. He's, bu- yeah, he's bucking up on me, and we haven't seen each other in I know decades. What the hell? But he also too was easily spooked. Like you mentioned, a weak stomach. And what I'm saying by spooked is like I don't know if he was superstitious or maybe he grew up in a religious house or whatever. But the reason why I say this is two reasons. One, Bobby was terrified of Laparca without his mask because he said that Laparca was so ugly. That he must be like 
he must be a devil, like a devil yeah, child. Right. If you remember, the guy was not the best looking yeah. guy. Yeah, he was ugly. He was. So Regal <laughs> would tell him, his name was Adolfo. Yeah. In catering, can you sit sit over here and just stare at Bobby the whole time? <laughs> and Bobby would start noticing. Like, I'm, I'm, look how staring at me. Yeah. He's a devil child. He, 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 he makes me nervous. Yeah. Then we used to hang out at that eight tracks at downtown Disney for the, uh, uh, the Saturday morning tapings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Saturday morning. It was called WCW Worldwide. Right. And it was a disco club. Okay. Everyone used to hang out there. And Bobby would go, and I don't know if everyone was like all whatever. I think I think things were going on at that point. So everyone was on the dance floor just dancing, dancing, dancing. I don't think Bobby was dancing. He was just there to hang out. But he saw a poster for the movie The Omen on the wall because mm -hmm. it's a 70s disco club and The Omen is from 1976 and it's about the Antichrist. And right. He saw that poster and refused to go to 8-Tracks Disco Dancing Club. <laughs> Again, I'm not going in there. That poster's in there. It's like, come on, dude. <laughs> I'm oh, not do it. The Omen movie too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Oh, it was pretty damn well done. Yeah, Bobby was not having it. He was not having it. Didn't you think I, I loved Bobby and Steve Regal together? It was for a short time. Yeah, yeah. But I really loved that together. They they did the vignettes as we know, right? Yes. Where we. He, he called him, uh, did he call him Sir Robert or something like that? Or Earl, I think it was one Earl of those, Earl, Earl of... Earl. Yeah, I, I think I think Paul Levesque, Triple H, went to WWE, yeah. and they were the Blue Bloods, so they right. needed a guy to replace Paul. And I think from Regal telling the story is that Bobby was just kind of sitting there, and Regal was like, how about Bobby Eaton? He's not doing right. nothing right now, and he's awesome. Right. So they put him in there. I gave I gave Regal, and one of the... Uh, I said, I said, go back and watch, and, and Regal knew this, I... I I'm going to out myself here. One of my favorite, well, I love musicals. I really do. And mm. one of my favorite musicals is My Fair Lady. Mm. And I said, Professor Higgins, <laughs> when she, when Professor Higgins puts the marbles in Eliza's mouth and asks her to talk, she has all these marbles in the mouth and she starts to talk. And he says, I can't understand a word you're saying, not a word. Uh -huh. okay, and I said, use that. And he did. He's, Bobby started talking, sounded like somebody with marbles in his mouth. And one of those vignettes, he says, I cannot understand a word you're saying, not a word. So I always think of, when I think of Eliza Doolittle, I think of Bobby Eaton, Gosh. who didn't have marbles in his mouth, but sounded so, like he did. Can you imagine if they would have done vignettes where Regal was trying to teach him proper English? Yes. The rain in Spain <laughs> falls mainly on the plane. The rain on the plane, on the plane. They may have extended that, I don't know, but I remember you hitting that line and it really popped me. Um, um Got to back up here. I'm I'm still hung up on you in this uh, in, show tune. In, in, oh. <laughs> to my fair lady. My me. fair lady is one of the best. Lay Lay Come to the house sometime. I've got all kinds of no, musical. No. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell one more uh, spooked Bobby story. Then I want to talk about about his work and, and and how great he was in the ring. But um, I texted you guys this one too. But we were in Japan just briefly. One tour he was there when we were doing the, working there with WCW, and uh, they sell. Um, hot coffee in cans in vending machines there it's just the japanese thing and i think it was the winter time or whatever so bobby was saying he was looking for a coffee or he was cold i said we'll have a coffee uh from the machine is he refused because he said how can a cup of coffee be in a can mm -hmm. out of a machine and i right. said it's actually really good it's just that that's the way they do things here sure. he was used to going to the gas station and getting your cup of coffee so finally it took me about five minutes to convince i'll buy you one it, I'll, I'll just let me buy you one it's a good one so i buy him this can of coffee and he's like looking at it like it was you know like a piece of kryptonite or some strange artifact like he couldn't quite wrap his hand around so finally i open it up i drink it it's good he opens it up 
And for some reason, I'm sure you guys have experienced this at least once in your life. There was like a like a cocoon, like maybe a, a worm cocoon or an insect cocoon. Yeah. Something had got into the can and from the inside had built some kind of a little <laughs> cocoon thing, right? Right. So when Bobby opened the tab and you could see this white kind of creepy thing in there, he flipped out because he thought that I had ribbed him. <laughs> and he's like, you motherfucker. I was like, but Bobby, how could I rib you? You knew. How did I know? It's a, it's a vending machine at a random truck stop that we just pulled up. I had no idea. You, I could have got that one, but you didn't. You knew. And he would not talk to me for the rest of that trip. It was another three, four days or a week or whatever, because he was convinced that somehow I had masterminded this plot to put a worm cocoon inside of the hot coffee, inside of the vending machine, the one that he happened to get. You're good at a lot of shit. I'm not sure you're that good. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> Let's talk about Bobby Eaton as a worker. And I know for the majority of the time, uh, I could be out of school, but it would seem that with the Four Horsemen being heels and then also the Midnight Express being heels, that maybe you didn't work with them a lot, or maybe you did. Didn't at all till the very end. Gotcha. And we were we popped an angle, and the the reason the angle worked is they let us, they let us, Bobby and I, play out the best friend thing, because mm. we were best friends, mm. and they let me, you know, hey Bobby, you know, you you're doing great, you you know, you're doing good for yourself, you and the Midnight Express, you're great U.S. Tag Champions, just let it let it go there. It's enough. You don't need to push it any further, and then. Blanchard stepped in and started demeaning the both of them. And so then I started demeaning Stan more so than Bobby. But there was that thing in the back that I was pretty much talking down to Bobby and it made the angle real. Mm. And as soon as they shot it, I mean, we just had just a couple of shows because things backstage weren't going well mm. with, with the company. Mm. And we were talking about amongst ourselves leaving and. But man, business was down a little bit, but it flamed up, right? Right, right. We did uh, the new Charlotte Coliseum, which was the new Coliseum at the time. It was Flair and Luger and us in the Midnight Express on the first show in that new building, 15,000 yeah. people. Yeah, no, it was it was 22,000 people. Was it 22,000? Yeah, it was sold out. It okay. was the, they, had built a, they had built the biggest NBA arena. They, now, they they may have had 15000 paid, but it was sold out. So was it a three-way tag? You said it was Flair and Luger and you guys. That was the main event, Flair yeah. and Luger, and we were right underneath it ah, against gotcha. the Midnight ah. Express. Oh, I see. As the, and Which, it was the baby faces. They were? Right. Well, nobody was? Kind of half and half. Yeah. It was a heel match, yeah. but, you know, it was like nobody really liked Tully. Tully had real heat mm. with the fans, and, you know. The Midnight Express, Cornette had real heat, but they, the girls liked Stan, and, and the guys by that point in time knew how good Bobby was. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was one of those guys like Brad Armstrong, if we're just talking in general. You could watch Brad, and you go, damn, that guy's good. But when you're in the ring with him, you really got a feel for just how good he was, yeah. how smooth. Right. And just always, you know, no matter what you did, to Bobby, you could look at the crowd or your partner or Jimmy for a second to give him some shit. And when you turned around, Bobby was just where he needed to be. Mm. A lot of guys don't have that intuition. They were either crowding you or they feel like they're left there for too long. You know what yep. I'm saying? They should be doing something when all they should be doing is selling. Right. And he just had that intuition and just that knowledge. And you look at his individual 
greatest punch you've ever seen. Yes. When this one got by a lot of people, but go back and find it, and you'll appreciate how cool it was. We all drop elbows, but we all drop them across the chest. You know what I mean? Right. Bobby comes off that center. If you're laying here and your head's facing that way, Bobby would hit that same rope where your head was and come down and drop it right in the top of your head. Mm. Nobody Interesting, does, yeah. Nobody no. does that. And nobody has sense. And it just looked like, God almighty. Mm. You know, that kind of stuff. When he come out the top with dropping that knee on you, it was a different dimension. Right. Most people couldn't do it because you blow the heavy knee out. Right. Because mm-hmm. he, he was a deceptively big guy, too. He was quite tall. Like probably 6'2 or so, maybe. Maybe. And, and a barrel chest. Like you said, not a body guy, but not a, a small man. Not a giant, but 6'2". That's that's a big guy to be at the two top rope. Quarter. I'd estimate two and a quarter. I, coming off the top rope as much as he did, that's that's a big guy at the time. Yeah, right? dropping that leg, you know, mm. that's all bad on your hip. You know, it's it's worse on him, I think, than the guy. Of course it is. It. Of course it is. Because, I mean, he was very very safe. Right. Yeah, and that's everybody would say that how safe he was and how light he would work. Now Bobby would with me. Bobby, a couple of things he would do with me, he would always say, lock up with me. Like we're in the backstage area. I said, no, he said, come on, you need to learn how to lock up. Lock up with me. And I'd lock up with him. He'd say, here's, I lock up with him. He said, oh, you're way too stiff. So he says, here's how you do it. And he would lock up with me, and it would be the lightest thing. Mm. And he told me, he says, in your face, you got to show it in your face. You don't have to be that stiff, but show it in your face. And then he would he would ask me to do like you know twist my arm. Oh, you he'd do that just to fuck with me. Oh, you're way way too stiff. You're way mm. too stiff. So I knew that Bobby was probably one of the safest guys out there. That everything he did looked great, but didn't hurt. Now I mean, somebody you there would always be a mistake. Somebody people get hurt all the time. But Bobby was great at making it look mm. heavy, but ma- making it very safe. Just everything he did, and go back in your mind, Chris, to just. Kick in the guts, hit the rope to your right, mm-hmm. come off with a neck breaker. Mm-hmm. You know, Bobby Eaton's neck breaker was just so smooth. Right. Every time. And everything that he did offensively, it just, it looked like it had high impact. Mm-hmm. Everything he did. When he stepped through the ropes, right. Stan did his thing with the karate and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and the chicks were digging him. And, right. You know, he had his own style. When Bobby stepped through, the first thing he did was like, okay, yeah, holy shit, okay, the mood just changed. Right. It didn't matter what it was. If yeah. it was one punch, if it was one kick in the guts, whatever it was. If he just, you know, a law start now, a guy, when was the last time you saw a guy step through the ropes and just scoop, scoop a guy up and slam him? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it looked like, okay, this mm-hmm. shit just went south. Right. Do you think Bobby, Tony, was, was showing you how to lock up just so you would have a little bit more of a feel for what that felt like as you were commentating mat- matches? If, if it was, uh, if it was uh, Cowboy Bill Watts, I would say yes. But no, mm-hmm. Bobby just wanted to play with me oh, in gotcha. the back. Gotcha. Uh, here's something that Bobby and I did at the Omni all the time, because I did the ring announcing at the Omni for, during that era. Bobby would take a tumble outside, okay, and he would... Make sure that he would come near the our position. It was me and Charlie McGowan. Charlie would ring the bell, hmm. and I was announcing. And Bobby would take a tumble, and he would pull himself up 
at the uh, at the broadcast or at the at the table, and of course, Charlie and I would stand up. We're gonna run right when you guys get near us, and Bobby would grab me and he would say, "Push me." And I would push him. He would take this spectacular <laughs> bump all the way. I mean, he would just keep rolling. And it was the silliest looking thing. But I remember thinking, you know, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to. You guys are athletes. Uh, right, right. And But we would do it all the time. He would come out, push me. And I'd push him. He'd take the bump. But was, he would. He liked playing with me. He I would did. never have dreamed to yeah. do that. Yeah. But Bobby was the kind of heel, mm-hmm. the entertaining heel, right? The Midnight mm-hmm. Express. Yeah. He could get away with it. Yes. Right. And nobody looked at that and went, "Oh, Bobby ain't, ain't tough." And yeah. The hell. Right. That was kind of a flare trick too, wasn't it? Push the ref, ref push you back. Yeah. That type of vibe. A couple of guys could get away right. with right. it with their character. But other other people just went, "Well, damn, why yeah. did he do that?" Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it wouldn't fit you. No, wouldn't fit me. Mm-hmm. Bobby could Bobby clearly get away with it. Cornet could yeah. clearly get away with right. it. Right, Beak could get away with it. Yeah, Beak. <laughs> do, you, do you realize? You know, we, we talk about the Midnight Express and Stan's name has come up many times. But when I, we started, I started the, the the TBS show in April of '85. I was doing, and that's when Cornet and the Midnight Express would arrive. I think later that year. Yeah, of course. '86 was the that big was year. That was with Dennis Condry. That was with Dennis the original, Condry. right? Yeah. So to me, the Midnight Express, it's it's not. I'm not saying anything disparaging about Stan. To me, the Midnight Express will always be Bobby and Dennis, mm-hmm. just because I was there, and they used to. And I've been watching some of the shows. They used to take a bump down on the floor, and Bobby would pick up the guy and he would bring him over to us, okay? And he would look at me and he'd say, "Say hello to Tony," and the guy would and he'd go. Bam! Hit the guy. <laughs> and there's one time from '86. It's just recently from '86. I watched it where Bobby had the guy in a headlock. He brought him over me and gave me a high five at the desk. Okay, and then brought him back in the ring and beat him up. So that was Bobby. I mean, and he could get, get away, away with it. it. That's right. He get yeah, away yeah. with that stuff. Let's talk about that a little bit uh, uh, about the different versions of the Midnight Express. So that's a great point. Because growing up in Canada, I didn't get to see a lot of NWA, but we had for a section of time the Midnight Express and the NWA with Stan Lane. So I only saw Dennis Condry in the in the wrestling magazine. So I have no right. idea. I'm not sure I've ever seen a Dennis Condry. I've seen a few, but you know what I'm saying. So what were the differences between the team with Dennis and the team with Stan? Tony, you mm. want to try and... Dennis was so completely different than Stan. Stan was very handsome and the girls loved him, good looking flashy flashy mm-hmm. dennis was like the guy at the filling station old would, school brother old right, school yeah. brother that would beat your ass up right you know and he and bobby were so different in the way they approached things bobby had that long blonde hair could do things up top dennis was the ground guy and you know they both and i guess this is one of the reasons i remember them they both would you know would f- around with me during interviews when mm-hmm. cornet would be talking they would leave you know knee me in the back or do something <laughs> like that step on my foot and I just thought I thought Dennis was just one of the most underrated workers that I had ever seen. That well, he could do so many great things, just like Bobby, but so many great things. And and not again, Stan was great, but but Dennis. Was but the Dennis man. was a heel's heel. Yes, he wasn't flashy. He was a heel. Right. He was not a handsome guy. No, he was not. When he stepped through, it's like in his own way, whatever he did had impact. Mm-hmm. There was no wasted thing. He didn't th- throw three weak punches just to get a guy in the ropes to shoot him off. When he came in, the first thing he did had meaning. Yes. And it had, had some torque behind it. Right. And 
be a good guy, Chris, just to go back and just watch watch the Midnight Express Dennis version with the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah. And just watch the the way they're all different in the mm-hmm. way they got heat. Jimmy right. with his floor stuff, Bobby and his stuff, mm-hmm. and Dennis. And they were all different, but it was like you felt like a grown man Dennis Condry mm-hmm. was beating the piss out of a teenage boy, which was Ricky Morton. Mm-hmm. And that's where the heat came yeah. in. Dennis was a guy that, like you said, right. if you popped off to him, he'd hit you in the face with a beer mug and never think twice about right. it. Right, yeah, <laughs> right. And the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express, the Dennis Conjury version, I'm talking about the mid-'80s when they first came in, they did big business for the Crockett's. All over the country. All over the country. They were like, they were, they were big business. Now, Ricky Morton goes on to say in some of his podcasts that they were doing such big business that Dusty was upset that they were doing bigger business than he and Flair. But they, they that's what he's what Ricky says. I don't I can't validate any of that. Uh, I don't know what Ricky is saying, but they were doing big they business. They were doing big business. Because I remember going to the Charlotte Coliseum and they would sell out the Charlotte Coliseum on top. Right. And then they would go back for the return match it would be sold out again. And it got to the point, if I'm right, where Dusty would book he and Flair on one card and Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express on the other card. Well, business got so hot. We right. Had, we had the capacity as long as that was the two main events. Right. And then you could say, like, you put Ole and I with somebody right. on one card. And right. And you put Tully with Magnum on the right. Dusty card yeah. so they could travel together. And now right. that thing started yeah. to get beefed up yeah. a little bit. Now yeah. it was a full card. And you yeah. had two or three matches that right. were right. were hot. Yeah. Well, I just, when anybody always asks me about what was the biggest what was the biggest uh, angle that you saw as far as drawing money? To me, it was Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express. Mm. They were phenomenal. And you left that night knowing you'd seen a damn good match, right? Well, And you know what? They, they had been in uh, Louisiana prior to this, and they had worked out all the kinks. Mm-hmm. Right. They just brought the match and the angle to us. Because mm. oh. it's what they had already done. They had already got all the kinks out of Midnight and the Rock and Roll drew huge money in a territory that was like WWF at the time. Right. It was a big man territory. Right. Bill Watts just used big guys. You know, he had a thing for big tough guys. And for him to feature those guys on top and do the capacity business was a big deal back then. Yeah. It's interesting to me when you talk with the Midnight Express because if you think of like it's very rare for like to say like like a rock and roll band to replace an integral member and still be just as good if not better. Right. Dave Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar, for example, Midnight Express is one of the few tag teams that I can think of in the history of the business that was able to do that as yeah. well. When Condry left and Stan came in, they almost got bigger after the fact. That's a pretty rare thing because usually tag teams is is the chemistry between the two guys in the ring, but this would tell me that it was the chemistry between Cornette and Bobby, and whoever else was the other right. partner that made it work. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Cornette was the greatest talker, one of the greatest talkers ever, no question about that. And Bobby was one of the greatest workers ever. And I think you could put in, you could plug anybody in there. I really do. Again, it's not shitting on stand, but I think in that combination, you could put anybody in there. As right? long as long as they were a qualified worker within what they did, right? You couldn't have yeah. taken a middle guy that only could work as a middle guy and put him with. Those other two guys, because you'd go, he's not worthy. Mm-hmm. Stan had his own gig, and it, you know, he was like the the best looking guy on the card. Right. 
you know, and he did the karate stuff and the smooth stuff and all that. He had his own little thing. So they weren't trying to copy Bobby and Dennis. And that was clear. And I think that played to their That's why advantage. it worked. That's right. It was a new group with a new slant right. and cornet. It's promos followed. You right. Know, Sweet Stan, you know, da 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 And so you had a section of chicks. It was a weird dichotomy cheering for Stan. And Bobby would come through and they would boo like hell. Yeah. Because him and Cornette had their sticks. Yeah. Well, you still had Eddie Van Halen, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. That's the <laughs> exactly, difference, you know? Right. It's interesting, too, though, because I've seen Bobby, I think, when he was in ECW, maybe, or maybe it was Smoky Mountain. Uh, he could do a promo. I see him do some pretty good promos, actually. Uh, it just seems like maybe because of Cornette overshadowing him. Um, what do you think? Did you ever see Bobby do some promos? that, that He only spoke in that angle with us because it fit. Mm-hmm. I think they just basically decided Jim Cornette can get more heat than anybody in the business. Why mess with that? Yeah, right. That's exactly what it was. You know, Stan, you just looked at him and went, damn. Bobby just kind of hung around in the back, and and Jimmy did the talking, and it absolutely worked, 100%. Stan Stan got to the point where he would introduce Jim Cornette, though. You remember? Cornette would introduce the, right. the the Midnight Express, and then Stan would take it, ladies and gentlemen, and he would yes, build up that deep that. voice. Right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he did. Yeah, you know, Bobby also had one of the greatest mullets of all time as well. Oh, so man, point that out. <laughs> it was a great Southern mullet, buddy. <laughs> yes, it really yeah. was. What I was going to mention before when we were talking about Bobby's work is that I worked with him maybe only half a dozen times. But one of them, when, when he passed away, I posted kind of a match that, you know how it is, these matches go by and you don't see them for 25 years. It was a match that we had on Nitro. And it was only four minutes long and 30 seconds of it was somebody doing a promo about the NWO right in the middle of our match. Uh, but watching him, I remember how he would call a match. And this is, you want to talk about a lost art. I've never been in the ring with anybody that did this. And maybe it was the way it was back then. He would call the spot as he was going. If it was me, it'd be like tackle, drop down, leapfrog, mm-hmm. hip toss, arm drag. Mm-hmm. He would say tackle. Then when the tackle goes, he says drop down. And then he does a drop down and he's running. He's like, hip toss me. Boom. Arm drag me. Boom. So he's telling you what to do one move at a time right. as the spot is going. Right. And I thought that's really, if you can do that, how genius is that? Because you're actually living in the moment of the move, not tackle, drop down, leapfrog, drop, kick, arm drag. He's saying it one at a time. Yeah. I don't know. Is that did the guys used to call matches like that, Arno? Is this well, a Bobby well, he, thing? Well, the the great ones, mm. but Bobby was probably standalone in the, in the idea that if you look at it, the ventriloquist part of it, you never saw him say right. a word. Yeah. Right, that's the part that we've lost. Yes, we sure John have. Cena, you know, mm-hmm. he's the one that comes to mind. I mean, you can hear him all the way in the back. Yeah, yeah. calling spots, and you can see them talk. You know. He got away with it because he looked like the, you know, looked like what he did, and he got. The whole it's a different time too, though. People just don't. They're not that pay attention like that like they used to, you know. In the old days, if you would have been talking in the ring, because we protected the magic, you know, you, we didn't show you the wire. You know, there's David mm-hmm. Copperfield in the very end of his show. Mm-hmm. You black out the arena, and he's flying around, and you can't see how the hell he's doing it. Right. Nobody flipped on the light and went, oh, guys, there's the wire. He's <laughs> not really flying. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if I'd have spent, you know, 60 bucks on a ticket times right. four for my family and some guy cut on the light and showed me the wire, I'd be, I wouldn't be happy about it. No. 
I don't want to know how they do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Bobby was one of those guys that you never saw him, you never heard it. It just went down, like you said. Where, where did he start? Where, where did Bobby start? Tennessee. Started in Tennessee. And Very he, young, and too, though, right? he was like 16. Yeah. Wow. Well, I tell you what, we did it on, the information was out there on my podcast the other day. He was 1976. I graduated high school. So Bobby, 1976, started wrestling. And you guys are the same age? Professionally, we're the same age. Wow. Professionally. And, you know... It's like I couldn't imagine. I go back in my head and being a kid just graduated high school, being out there. Now they were grown ass men back then. Mm -hmm. When you walked in the, you know, you walked in with Dick Slater and uh, Dick Murdoch right. and uh, Angelo Mosca and Wahoo right. McDaniel right. and Terry Funk and Dory Funk, right. and the Briscoes. You walk in a locker room like that and sit your ass down yeah. as a as a rookie. And I'm looking around going, Jesus Christ, I don't belong in here. Right. This grown man locker room. Sure. Well, imagine do, trying to do that at 16. Right. Especially kind of a naturally shy guy like Bobby. At least it's, from my experience, kind of was. Yeah. You know? He was an introvert. Right. 100%. Yeah. And so the, the reason I'm asking is that, and, and you know, I worked with, with Bill Watts for a, a number of years at WCW. But I got to really respect him as far as the magic was concerned, in-ring work, knowing what to do, you know. Uh, and it seems to me that guys who, you know, in Louisiana who started out and cut their teeth in that territory really knew how to work. Well, you had to. Yeah, you uh, you had to, right, because of him, here's right? The, here's the example. And it was a little different psychology, but it absolutely worked. That was my first territory. And the rule was he would put you out there with – another young guy in the first match of the night and mm -hmm. you would go 15 to 20 minute Broadway mm -hmm. but you weren't allowed to punch or you weren't allowed to kick wow you couldn't go to the outside these were standard rules for the first match right you had to keep it in the ring so guess what you had to learn how to do work. wrestle wrestle right and work holds yeah and swap holds that's a Japanese young boy strategy yeah. as well right and he put it on he put it out there to open the show. Yeah, and, and so you guys like so you, you learned how to work, and right? You had to, you know, because in those days, here's something everybody else forgets: territories, the towns were every week. Mm -hmm. You're going to a town four times a month, so right? You better be able to wrestle. And this week, you're going to work my arm, and I'm going to work your leg, and then next week, we're going to work your back, and. And remember what you did the week before and switch it totally up because you go out there and have the same match. The fans can know. remember. Yeah, that's right. And they'll eat you alive. You did that last week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They'd let you know. But it wasn't in a smart ass. Yeah. You know, if Watts heard it, whew. So Bobby learned a lot from that, just like you did. Yeah. Yeah. Too. You had, if you wanted to survive and if you were there, you know, five, six months, mm -hmm. which. I was at the time. You were going to a lot, most of those towns every week, or at least every other week. Yeah. Another thing I noticed about Bobby, like I said, watching this Nitro match, he went to the top rope a couple times. I went to the top rope for the finish. Bobby worked his matches, whether it was a four-minute, you know, get-over match on Worldwide, or whether it was you know a ten-minute match against whatever against the Rock and Roll. He did a lot of high-impact moves. 
Mm. He in this one that we had in the four minutes, he gave me a knee drop off the top. He went for the the leg drop, the Alabama jam mm -hmm. off the top. He did a couple other kind of flying things in the ring. He worked very hard, and this was '96. It wasn't like it is now, where there's so many high spots. I'm sure ten years prior it wasn't either. But he was a very high impact wrestler in the ring in any situation. Ahead of his time. Ahead of his time. Yes. I, a great point. Yeah. Ahead of his time. Whether it landed. Or he missed. Mm -hmm. He sold the piss out of it. You know what I mean? Or the right. guy, or the guy taken. There was, a, there was no throwaways. Right. Bobby didn't. To my knowledge, he if he wasn't gonna beat you with that knee off the top, he didn't try it unless he was gonna have you move. He wouldn't hit it and you kick out. Mm -hmm. Because it was. It looked like to everybody in the building like a decapitation. Yeah. And you know it's interesting. In our it. match, he did do the knee drop. But I don't think he covered me. Like I said, he did because I remember just seeing this beautiful knee drop that you just described in that match. But maybe no cover, whatever. And that was my point. It's like he ahead of his time in that he was doing some of these bigger moves, uh, not for a flashy standpoint, but to make the match maybe a little bit more exciting, maybe because he was up against a guy like me that nobody knew. Maybe that was it. Yeah. I don't know. But he sure worked his ass off in this four-minute Nitro match with me, who was just basically starting. Yeah, I mean, he was, he would, you know, it was a simple thing and until you rem remember that out on the floor it was cement in those days. Sure was. <laughs> shoot a guy out to the floor, he'd come out, shove his head between legs. Huh? Oh, God, he's got to pile drive the guy on the cement. Yeah. Take a big backdrop. Right. Concrete, splat. Boom. Right. You know, that kind of shit nobody did. Because the, the, the con concrete floor did not move. Right. Was it padded up? It was cement. Yeah. In those days. Let me ask you this, Arn. When you're talking about the horsemen, we said this kind of earlier about being very over heels. And then you have the Midnight Express being very over heels. Did you ever watch each other's matches and kind of see, like, what can we do that they're not doing? Or what can we do that? Was there some friendly rivalry there? Because those guys were nipping at your heels as the top heels in the company. I watched them every night because I was amazed at what they did. Mm. I was such a fan, and well, I am to this day. You know, people ask me all the time, do you miss the wrestling part? And there's two times that I miss it. When it's done really badly, but I see how easily it could be fixed. I wish I was there to fix it for the person. Or when it's done really, really good. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I feel the same way. When it is really good stuff, like those guys, yeah, man, I couldn't. I could watch it every single night because, again, they were pros. They're going to these towns. They're switching it up every night. They didn't get a match that worked and just took that match everywhere, because you had fans that would go to Greenville, well, Spartanburg. Next week was Spartanburg TV. That's right, just forty miles up the road for them. Right, be there. Yeah, so you had to be aware. Of switching stuff up and yep. those guys were so professional that nothing ever looked the same so i was another fan getting to see what all these guys knew and then they knew a bunch you know they were incredible so mm -hmm. i would i would i don't know if they watched our stuff i would bet you more than dennis and bobby Cornette would and would probably convey something that he saw 
to them on the trip back. Yeah, we traveled together. Cornette was like, oh yeah, we talked business. Yeah, Cornette was was was, was was business and would pick up on stuff, and that's why Jim Cornette was more more valuable than just a mouthpiece to them. Shoot manager. Yes, he really you know, was. He, he wrote down notes. Right. You know, he had the house, the payoff, and all that. But, right. But he also, if he saw something that maybe down the road he could take advantage of if we worked with those guys or just to uh, make it appear that like a good manager and a good scout was, he was scouting us mm. all the time. Right. Do you agree with that, Tony, as far as the differences between the Horseman and the Midnight Express and what Arm was kind of saying? Yeah, I, I agree with it. I, I, I thought, and I'm, I'm, I go back in the day, back in the 80s, when mid-80s, right? Before 87, 85, 86, 87, 88, not really. But those years, there were two great heel factions. To factions, if we can know, there were the Midnight Express and there were the Horsemen. And they were both so good that we ran two towns. That's why we ran mm-hmm. two towns, because we had great heels on both sides. I remember, do you remember, uh, I know you remember the Rock and Roll Express Super Summer Sizzler Tour? Oli and I were with you, them. You, you and Oli wrestled them every town. And there was only, it was a single main event. Right. And it was just the towns like Florence and stuff that mm-hmm. you could drive. Because mm-hmm. it, it was at the end of the bashes, right? Yes, it was and the first the week, of the first week in August. You get like five days off. Right. Six days off. But they said, you know, we're going to book this tour. Do you and Oli want to work it? Uh-huh. And it'll be just drivable towns. Right. It's one of the biggest weeks I ever had. Yes, right. It was. And it wasn't the big towns. It was Asheville. It was Florence at the at the football stadium. It was the towns. The reason I know was because I was on the tour. And I was on the bus with Ricky and Robert and all those girls. Okay. on the And Jimmy Valiant also snuck oh, in right. so he can go without. So he could go save trans. So, <laughs> <laughs> what? Hey, brother, can I get on the bus? Sure, get on the bus. Okay. Ride with you, brother. <laughs> so... Um, so went to all those towns and what I remember about it was that the bigger towns had Dusty Flair they had the Midnight Express against the Road Warriors mm-hmm. in the bigger towns but they had you guys against the Rock and Roll Express sold out everywhere and I because remember Henry Marcus the promoter in South Carolina High pockets yeah hi, okay. <laughs> Henry always bitched all the time he would get me on the phone the only thing I get is that goddamn Jimmy Valiant and the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and that ain't drawing shit. Okay? So I say, Henry, what what can I do? Okay? So I never will forget, we were in Florence, and that stadium was sold out. And it was you guys and Rock and Roll Express Super Summer Sizzler Tour. And I just opened the door to the ticket office there, and Henry had a pile of money. And he was counted. I said, Henry, how's the gate for you tonight and i shut the door on him and he was you know it was big to look at his sock <laughs> his ankles were like the size of a rhino yeah yeah stuffed full of twins yeah high pockets in yeah markets. yeah oh, oh he would stuff the money in his uh in his, in his socks yeah well, and it was an outdoor show and i only i even remember what he turned in Oh, I'm I sure. Mean, it was like a football stadium. But yeah, it was, it was a high school football. Yes. Standing room only. Yeah. He turned in 44 grand, <laughs> which was a huge house. Right. But, but it was probably more like 64 grand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One more quick Henry Marcus story. I know we're talking about Bobby, but this needs to be told because to me it's one of the great stories. When Ole was booking for the Crockets, Henry would call 
and wanted to know what the card was. Okay. So he would say, okay, Henry, here's what we got. We got something big for you, Henry. We've got, we've got Ric Flair. We've got, and then he would push and hang up the phone as he's talking. Okay. Henry would call back. He said, Henry, God damn it. I have this great card for you. He said, and if you're going to hang up on me, okay, then I'm not going to give you the card. He said, okay, here, here's what we got. We got Flair and we got Wahoo and we got click and hang up again and he'd do it like three times to the point where henry would get in his car from columbia south carolina and drive up to charlotte <laughs> okay i heard you guys had a big card for me we had a bad disconnection he did that to him all the time isn't that a great story i mean that's Ole anderson henry marcus is what that is oh yeah. uh, well i just you know just remember back and, and the thing was what made the, the rock and roll so diverse is when Ole and I worked with those guys, it was a totally 100% different match. Mm. It's like there was the, the best one I think we had just because the setting involved was they were the champions, the rock and roll. We wrestled them in Greensboro on a big show, them as the champions inside a cage. Starcade? I think was that the, the, the was that the Atlanta Greensboro thing? I think so. Right, and we we took it to about the fifty minute mark. Now all the, uh, the it wasn't your setting dream setting of two heels as champions who just got beat up for the whole time because mm. it didn't work. They were the champions, mm. so we beat both of them up. And it went about 50 minutes. And if you remember, there was mm -hmm. that final tag mm -hmm. that Robert made. They both sold. They mm -hmm. both made a comeback. Mm -hmm. Robert, uh, I scooped up Ricky, who fed in on the deal mm -hmm. like a slam. And Robert drop kicked him in the back. Mm -hmm. And he went down on top of him. Right. One, two, three, flipped him off at three and a half. Uh -huh. And we stomped them all the way out of the cage. Mm -hmm. They were like heels trying to get out of the cage. Right. Remember that? Yes, I do. And yeah. when it was over, we had more heat mm -hmm. than if we'd have won. Right. Because they basically sold the whole yeah. match. And it was totally different from the match they would have with the Midnight Express. Yeah. And that, you know, and but but still, with the Midnight Express and with Bobby and you guys back in the era, one of the things that made Bobby great was you could go 50 minutes. Hmm. And you could have a good match in 50 minutes. There wasn't a lot of stalling. There wasn't a lot of fans weren't bored with a 50 or even an hour, 60 minute match. They weren't bored with it at all because of what guys like Bobby and yourself, you guys could do. I mean, it was uh, it was an You know, you talk about I really think of the I think of the art of wrestling, man. And it, there's an art to it, as you know, Chris. And, uh, you know, Bobby was one of the guys that could could really paint a great picture for you and do it for a long time. It just popped in my head as we're talking as we start to, to wind down the the, the, the scaffold matches yeah. or match I'm, not, I'm sure there's more than one right but I just remember like like Bobby hanging from this scaffold and there's no way to bump off this you're going nope. down and you're landing on your feet and doing a little bump and roll but that was the first thing I've ever seen in my life and I know that Bobby was in it because I remember him just hanging there and thinking I would never do that I know I would never do that that's why Bobby did it because none of the rest of us would either yeah how was that pitched to you? A scaffold? Match. It was never. There's even, no way out. It was never even pitched. Mm. They knew that they had Bobby in the wings, and that was the guy, mm -hmm. was the go-to guy, to do that with. You wouldn't have taken at that point in time. You wouldn't have endangered. Certainly not Flair. You wouldn't have endangered sure. a Blanchard. Right. 
or an Anderson because things were so hot then you didn't want to get a guy hurt. Couldn't take the chance. Yeah. Right. Before you booked it, they knew somebody was probably going to get hurt. Right. There's only one way down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to bump. Yeah. There's no way to protect yourself. It, it's hit and just pray that you hit and roll and yeah. you took enough mustard off of it that didn't blow your knees out. Yeah. Right. The, the most famous one was Starcade 86 with the Road Warriors. And Bubba, Big Bubba. Big Bubba and Cornette. Uh, Midnight Express and the Road Warriors. I remember we were during a during a commercial break or something in the studio, and I remember saying, "God, you guys, you're gonna have to get paid well for this." Mm-hmm. And Dennis Condry said to me, "Yep, or there ain't gonna be another." Mm-hmm. It's what Dennis Condry said. Bobby didn't say anything about it. Bobby just, you know, he went with it. Okay, and that's where Cornette they did that bump where Cornette blew out his knee. Because I was right there at ringside, and the, the, the cornet is hanging from the bottom, right? And Bubba comes in to catch him. And I remember looking up and and, you know, Cornette was kind of heavy in the rear end. And I remember saying, there's no way Bubba is going to catch Cornette. And he didn't, if you'll recall. Mm-hmm. And Cornette hit and blew out his knee. Oh, yeah. And Bobby, I, the finish was on Bobby, I think. Because I think Bobby took, Bobby was trying to climb down. Some, but Bobby took a bump off the side of the scaffold, of the, if, if I Jeez. recall right. They they knocked him knocked him off the scaffold that way and that was the finish. But the, the thing is too, just with the, the cornet bump is, is like it, it, as as an athlete and as a wrestler, there's no way to catch a man who's falling straight down. No way. It, it's almost like you can try like having a like a basketball hoop. Yeah. But he's gonna go right through, and you can't go underneath and catch him on your shoulder because he's coming down feet first. Right. What was Ray? Uh, what was Bubba supposed to catch? No, it was. There really, there really is no way that you can make that work. Right. It's it's a it's a it's a no win situation. Yeah. There was a moment I looked at Cornette and he's swinging. Okay. And I looked at Cornette and I looked at Bubba and I remember all three of us knew at the same time he's fucked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> some some bad going to happen here. I didn't know, but it was the knee. Well, yeah. I guarantee you. In those days, it uh-huh. went down like this. They had a conversation in the back. Jimmy said, Bubba. Because you are superhuman. Yeah. And he was one of those superhuman strong guys. Yeah. Can you catch me? You're okay. You don't pull him. Yeah. Okay. And it went down like that. Yeah. Nobody sat down like in this setting and went, wait a minute, guys. Yeah. Right. Right. The aerodynamics. 240. Yeah. Right. He's going to drop from 20 feet. By the time he gets to you, God knows what that translates into. Speed wise. If Bubba would have caught him, it'd have blown his back out. Yeah. Somebody would have got hurt. Right. Yeah. There was no way to do that safely, period. But they're looking out at the crowd. Uh-huh. Potential payoff. Yep. What does that do for your standing in the community? Right. The wrestling locker room. Right. There's all these positives when everybody went, somebody's going to get killed doing that. Yeah, right. Because those, in those days, you wouldn't have said that. Nobody yeah. would have said yeah. that. No. Oh, are you being negative, man? We booked this thing. Look at the house. It's packed. You don't want to lose your spot. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't think Dusty would have sat down with all the guys and say, hey, I got an idea for a scaffold match either. I think he just booked Here's it. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. He right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Scaffold match. <laughs> right. Here it is. Yeah, right. What? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, last few things. Arn, you spent time in the WWE. Tony was in the WWE. Was there ever a reason why Bobby never went to the WWE that you know? Comfort zone. Comfort zone? Everything was based around Atlanta, you know, lived in Charlotte. Yeah. Guaranteed money, which mm. there was none. WWE, you know, it was guaranteed with with Turner, no matter what you say. That's right. You know, it was a lot of things wrong with the company as far as 
you know, never knowing who the boss was or having the boss be a guy that was a wrestling guy. And, mm-hmm. You know, it was more corporate guys and all that. But it was just, you got into that deal, and if you had a three-year contract, it came. Rain mm-hmm. or shine, Chris. You, your family, your wife could plan your life. You know, you could plan your life. If you had a three-year deal, you had a three-year deal, and it right. was there, period. That appealed to a lot of guys. It did to me. I was there 12 years. Mm-hmm. Bobby never played the politics, right? I mean, he never got, he never got to me. He could have been on the inside, but it never showed. He never got stressed out about what was going down, what angle he was in. I mean, God bless Tully. I mean, he's our friend, but he always got stressed out about that shit. Yeah, always got stressed out about it. And a lot of guys did, even back when we got, when you came aboard. You know, there was always the the older guys. Bobby, it never bothered Bobby. He was always, like you said, comfort zone. He was very comfortable about being in the South. And he was very comfortable about staying where he was staying. Now, I don't know if Cornette ever approached him about coming up there and working with him because Cornette worked mm-hmm. in the WWE. I don't, and I would think that even if Cornette would have approached Bobby about coming up there, I would think Bobby would have said, I'm, I'm fine where I am. Bobby was in that position. However you want to look at it, I always thought it was pretty good. You knew if you went or looked around and went, hey, I got to have a guy have a match tonight. There's the guy. Right. But Bobby would go for months where he would just come in, sit down, not have anything, mm-hmm. sit there, go back home. Hang out with the boys, right. It would be months, a string of months without him working, and but the check was there every other week. That's right. Mm-hmm. How do you beat that? Yeah. Right. And there was no heat on it. It was like he just became invisible. You knew he was part of the crew. He was there if mm-hmm. needed him, but... What a job, right? I remember reading the very first iteration of the Observer's in 1990 when i was training and it was i couldn't believe it because the, the the head of the boxing and wrestling commission got them and they were on typewritten pieces of paper like right 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 and it's like what are these are these are like wrestling inside you know notes or and read it and i remember reading that bobby had re-signed at some point for three thousand dollars a week and i was like that's one hundred and fifty six thousand dollars a year he's rich right maybe someday i can sign for three thousand dollars a week, like Bobby Eaton, right? And my first contract in WWE was one hundred thirty-five grand, so I didn't quite get the Bobby Eaton yeah, big money, right? But I came close. I just remember that, like, wow, Bobby Eaton's making—he's rich, he's a yeah. millionaire, you know? Yeah, it was a lot of money. Yeah, was. and I'm, it still is. Yes, but I'm yeah, sure man. I'm sure Bobby looked at it the same time you did and went, "Wow, I'm a millionaire," because <laughs> yeah. he was comfortable in that zone. I mean, you know, that was yeah, good yeah, for yeah, him. Yeah. 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 Last question for you guys: Is there a, a certain Bobby match that stands out for you, or a certain memory? That stands out for you? Uh, Here's how I'm going to shut it down. Okay. Keep it in mind. We know that Bobby has a weak stomach. Uh-huh. Back to this, right. Okay. okay. Call back. Bobby right. has a super weak stomach. Right. Myself, Bobby Eaton, Tony Gillum, the ring announcer. Oh, my God. Who was riding with us. <laughs> We're going on Interstate 70 through Kansas City to somewhere. And it is pouring rain. I mean, it is a monsoon. So I'm driving. Bobby's there in the back. We had this thing, Bobby and I, burp and blow. So we had already (laughs) ate. We had already ate like a bunch of barbecue that day or something. I'm sitting there. We got our Zubas and shit. We could go to work in your pajamas back in the day. Sure. It was cool. So... All of a sudden, you know, I, I feel this really big 
major burp. And Bobby's kind of leaned in and he's <laughs> reading his USA paper. And, I'm, and I blew it on him. Mm-hmm. And you know those that we have like heavy garlic or something, the burps that you can taste? Yeah. yeah. Make you sick? Yeah. Because you just, that came out of you? Yeah. It hit him in the face and he went, whoop. Whoa. And he threw up on my chest. Now, we're going down the road 75 miles an hour. He threw up on my chest. When I saw that, I threw up on him. And it went back on him. Now, Gillum is rolling hmm? in the back. I pull off the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Open my door now. We're off in the, like the emergency lane. Bobby's hanging out his door. He's pulled off his top. He pulled off his top. He's hanging out the pasture door. He's puking. We, when I go to pull off the shirt over my chest, I get a good whiff of that mm-hmm. shit. Now I'm hanging out on the traffic side. Yeah. Puke all over my zoo boss. Yeah. I'm naked okay. on the side of the road, right. throwing up. Bobby's hanging out the other door. And we finally get back in the van. I'm sitting there naked, and we're gagging, and he's gagging. He's got his shirt off. We look back. Gillum had looked like somebody threw a bucket of water in his lap. He has pissed all over himself. <laughs> I, can't, I can't top that story, so don't even ask me to. That is the burp and blow, piss thyself story, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. I'll just throw one more in there from the, the, the I don't have a burp and blow story, but it, uh, you mentioned Spartanburg. And I remember we had a house show there uh, with WCW, and I was lucky enough to get booked with Bobby. And at the time, I wasn't winning any matches. It was just kind of the way it was. And we were there, and Bobby was booked to win. And he changed the finish that night. I can't remember who the agent was or if we even had agents for for house shows back then. might have even been you, Arn. But he changed the finish because he's like, you know, I'm 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 the bad guy. You know, why do I need to win on what the year? Oh, 96? So I think he just basically was like, why is the bad guy winning the opening match? But Someone was like, well, Bobby, this is one of your towns. He's like, fuck, he's going over. It's the opening match of the show. Put the baby face over, which is a general rule. On our sure, and, 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 yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I just remember like I wasn't beating anybody, and just the fact that Bobby volunteered to, to switch the finish, right. which was the right thing to do, and he wasn't doing it because I was a nice guy. It just was the right thing to do for the show. But once again, he didn't have to do that. Right. He could have taken the win and taken his yeah. three grand a week and went home. Right. But he, he, he did that. I just thought, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty cool guy that understands the concept of the business. Yes. Well, and had you not been talented, he might not have made that decision, yeah. Chris. you right. got to put right. some of that on yourself. He yeah. saw an opportunity. He loved the business. He saw an opportunity to do the right thing. Yeah. And he did the right yeah. thing. Yeah. And, you know, when you love the business, that doesn't bother anybody. No. You know, yeah. nobody comes up to me and says, hey, God, you know, did you ever win a match? I mean, how many matches? You never beat anybody, right. which I never did. Yeah. But they forgot that. Me. You beat me. The only thing I can say. I don't believe it. I still got to go watch it. I still don't believe it. The only thing I can say about Bobby in closing was in, in the years that I was with the Crockett's, I did a lot of ring announcing, too, which I loved. And the reason I really loved ring announcing was I always thought the pressure was kind of off of TV, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. you could you could kind of have a and, – and I told you how Bobby would come up to me and he would say, push me, and I'm pushing back. But anytime the Midnight Express had a match, 
Bobby was always having fun, especially as a house show. And he would look at me a lot and he would say things to me, you know, as he takes a bump and he'd look up, he'd look up, I'd be there, he'd mumble something to me. And and I remember thinking, he's making this fun. Mm -hmm. He's making this fun for me and he's making this fun for the fans. And Bobby was always that type of guy to make wrestling fun and he made it fun for me as a ring announcer especially and and as a tv guy too and if you watch those old watch those old studio shows they always came over to us they always brought their 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 job guy over to us and did something it was tremendous made me feel more part of the action well the thing i guess we all take care of it is maybe we should all stop and remember this is the greatest way in the world to make a living yep you know and the thing that makes it so great you know the money is wonderful the notoriety is fine if you want to get a nice restaurant. And you might get a better table, but the reality is the bell-to-bell stuff, when we're having fun, it's unbeatable. Yep. Because that's why we do it. That's what keeps you coming back, is it's supposed to be fun. And Bobby brought that to work every day. Yeah. Can't say much more than that. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks Thank for having us, buddy. Some stories about the, one of the greatest of all time, in the ring and out. Absolutely. Bingo.